Today we come to the end of a nine-week sermon series, Rooted, Reformed, Relevant. We have been exploring First Presbyterian Church's tagline. Three weeks we looked at rooted, three weeks reformed, and the last two weeks, relevant. Two weeks ago we considered relevant and said really the, the most relevant thing is to attend to what the living and active God is doing in our world today. We believe Jesus is risen and alive and to attend to whatever Jesus is up to, that's the most relevant thing. Last week we looked at the lectionary passage for the church and uh, talked about how we do try to look and appear relevant and noteworthy before one another sometimes, but Jesus' word is Those who humble themselves will be exalted. The most relevant thing we can do or be about is to heed the word Jesus has for us, even if it seems like a small act of faithfulness. That is the next truly relevant thing in God's kingdom. We we continue today by letting the lectionary take lead and fill in the answer to to that question about relevance. And let me add a, a word of thanks. Before this sermon series ever started, I had an email out to our officers and staff and asked them to respond with what they thought rooted, reformed, relevant, all meant, and, and their answers have absolutely helped shape this sermon series and where we've gone and where we've been. Uh, today, we have a passage where the disciples at the outset of Matthew chapter 24, a little bit before our reading, come to Jesus and they ask, uh, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? When is the end and, and, and what will it look like? And implied is, and, and what with everything going on? Might it be now? It comes, I think, from, from an anxious place. It comes from a place where there's a lot going on, a lot of turmoil. And I think the passage itself then feels uh, quite relevant as we lean into this question about where God is and, and, and is the end now? And so Jesus responds to the disciples' questions in Matthew 24 and 25 extensively. We, this morning, get to hear a portion of that, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. The kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with them. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But but the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we hear about these five foolish bridesmaids, these five wise bridesmaids, and in every way, almost every way, they really appear the same. They arrive at the same time to meet the bridegroom. 
We're not precisely sure why. It's not like they are the bride, but regardless, they, they show up on time. They all wait together. They all get drowsy. They all fall asleep. The parable makes it abundantly clear, even halfway through, that when it comes to the end of age, the age and when it's going to happen, the only thing we are ever given to know is that it feels like it's late in coming, significantly delayed. Waiting becomes the normative posture for these bridegrooms. And perhaps that doesn't surprise us at some level because waiting is the normative posture commended throughout Scripture. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 27, 4. If the vision, the vision of God's kingdom, seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Habakkuk 2, 3. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 37, 3. Truly, I could go on for a while quoting scripture on this theme. Waiting is central throughout scripture because, because truly, waiting is where we spend most of our days. And have not we known that acutely in these recent days? Waiting for the votes to tally. Waiting for the pandemic to be over. Waiting for a vaccine. Waiting for certain supplies and items to be replenished or restocked. Waiting for justice to roll down. Waiting to sing our lungs out together in worship. Waiting for a loved one to finally come around, waiting for an apology, waiting for our body to heal, waiting for the diagnosis, for the results, to hear back about the interview, the application, waiting. Where has the waiting been most acute for you these recent days? Scripture is clear that waiting is the space in which we live most of our days. And my sense is that when we do have these moments where we can't help ourselves, despite what the Bible says, and the Bible says we're not to know the day or the time when, when the end is near, but we can't help ourselves some of the time and we start to anxiously speculate if, it, if it's now, if it, if it seems like it's coming soon. I think that, 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 comes, that sentiment comes in part from a desire to get out of waiting, to be done with all the waiting and the accompanying discomfort and uncertainty and anxiety. It's, it's a form of, a, of escapism because you know what? Waiting in reality is hard. But then, finally, the ten bridegroom maids are, are awakened to go and meet the bridegroom who has a finally arrived, and so they all trim their lamps. And now it is at this moment that it becomes clear that not all waiting is the same. There are those who wait foolishly, and there are those who wait wisely. Every year, this time of year, November, when I was in high school, my assistant baseball coach would reach out to all of the baseball players on the team. And even though the season didn't start in Ohio until the month of March, 
um, he would let us know that as early as November, he would be uh, out inside our gym after school, and we could join him at the gym after school and take ground balls inside using a gym-friendly ball. So I and a few others would show up, and he'd, he'd hit the ground balls our way. We'd, we'd feel them, throw it back in the gym in the dead of winter far before any of the real baseball games began. It seems to me the difference between the wise and the foolish bridesmaids comes down to which group does the routine, behind-the-scenes preparations, and which group does not. Right at the outset of the parable, the wise took flasks of oil with them. The foolish failed to bring any oil. It, it, It was the action of preparation that differentiates the wise from the foolish. Now, commentators have offered a wide variety of interpretations about what that oil might represent, what it really means then to to be faithfully prepared. But I think given the way that the Gospel of Matthew is is focused thematically on, on discipleship expressing itself through practical action, I think remembering to take the oil is about regular, practical, embodied faithfulness. Not thinking all the right things about how one really could or should or would field a ground ball if being done faithfully, but just going out and, and literally fielding the ground ball. When it comes to the fundamentals in the Gospel of Matthew, right action, practical living action, that's everything. In fact, Matthew is the gospel where, where Jesus exhorts some of the following fundamentals, some of the following ways in which God's people live their, their waiting days most wisely. Forgive. Forgive 70 times 7, which is to say, show up even in the dead of winter and keep at this basic fundamental, even when no one is looking, but you very much know the heart needs this. Keep your promises. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. No eye for an eye. Love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. The verb for love there is in the ongoing tense, as in it's in a continual routine ground ball. Keep at that one. Give to the needy. Same continual sense. Stop pointing out the speck in your neighbor's eye. Deal with the plank in your own eye. Practice confession. Tired and weary? Come to me. I will give you rest. I could go on with a few more that are directly from the Gospel of Matthew. Most of those come directly from the Sermon on the Mount in particular. But the truth is, we who've been part of the church for a while, we recognize these. These are our fundamentals. I'm not saying that some of those aren't more challenging than others, depending on the context. But at a base level, those are our ground balls. This is what Jesus' followers are about in season and out of season. And let me add... No one can do any of these for us, right? I think that's the point that's that's pretty painfully underscored in this parable when the foolish bridesmaids say, give us some of your oil, our our lamps are going out. And we expect the wise bridesmaids to say, oh, of course, absolutely, we'll, we'll share some of our oil. 
Instead, it seems quite harsh. They say they can't share. There won't be enough. It's disconcerting to us. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like love. We do well to remember, one, it's a parable. It's not meant to necessarily highlight literal ways of being obedient or disobedient. And then two, I think the point is that no one else can do the preparatory work for us. We must, each of us, be accountable to show up to the gym and practice the fundamentals. And the only difference between the wise and the foolish is that the wise practice the fundamentals in season and out of season, whether anyone's looking or not. Now, I recognize that is hardly an awe-inspiring insight about how to live faithfully these waiting days. It seems hardly the insight that can hold the weight of all that our hearts carry the day after the next president of the United States has been declared. And yet, my junior year on the varsity baseball team, I got in to play here and there, mostly, mostly a backup, but one time I got in for a full game and they put me at third base. Now, third base was not my natural position. First base is where I played most of my life, most of my, my baseball career. Third base, if you know baseball, third base can be absolutely terrifying or, or wonderfully exciting depending on how you think of things. Third base in baseball lingo is called the hot corner. It's called the hot corner because a lot of balls get hit there and they usually come screaming fast. Scary or exciting, maybe both depending on who you are. I'll never forget the first ground ball that came my way. Not overly fast, so I, it was one I needed to, to charge if I was going to field it and throw the runner out. And it was kind of coming in that space between me and the shortstop. So uh, to this day, though, I, I can remember moving forward on it and the amazing feeling of, of all of my muscles I've been using day in and day out to learn how to field grounders. Suddenly, they all kicked in in this almost automatic way. And I raced towards the ball, and I, I scooped the ball into the glove, and then, and then somehow unconsciously did this 360 spin move and threw the ball over to first base, strike, the runner was out. And genuinely, to this day, I have never done an athletic move of that caliber of grace and power. It, it, it was exhilarating. It, and I think the play has stuck with me because there was just something so invigorating about discovering all that behind-the-scene muscle memory work found successful translation on an entirely different part of the field. We are most definitely standing on a different part of the field in these days. The pandemic, the unrest, the profound political and cultural differences that the election has made again so clear, the anxiety which has been heightened for so many, such an extended season of time, a presidential transition, it, it's a hot corner to say the least, scary or exciting or both, depending on who you are. And I take our passage to heart and do not in the least posit that, that all of this means that, 
that maybe the end of the age is near and the wedding banquet is at hand. We're not given to know that. And yet, this time of ours does to me seem like a kairos moment. The kind of moments Jesus talks about when he says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Kairos moments, uniquely opportune moments, uniquely holy moments where God is doing something. And I think this Kairos moment is a moment in which the church is, is not called to be heroes coming to the rescue. Actually, the church is called more than ever to show up and do the fundamentals day in and day out. Because in our day and age, fraught with fear and anger and distrust, I will tell you, every act of forgiveness instead of revenge Every act of integrity instead of lies. Every act of enemy love instead of taking care of just the ones you like. Every act of attentive love to the needy and not just those who can do something for you. Every act of confession instead of blame. Every moment we are a people who let our muscle memory of those fundamentals kick into gear on this part of the field, those play forth as moments and movements of grace and power and beauty. Church of Jesus Christ, the truth is, this is what we have trained for. This is not the kind of moment to run from, hide from, worry about. This is what we were made for. This is where salt and light come into play in and through all those fundamentals. And look, I get it. All ten bridesmaids fell asleep. Because the truth is, all of us fall asleep on the fundamentals. It's a pandemic. Most of us are in our homes most of the time. No one's watching. What if we skip a practice or two or a few? Everyone else is pretty angry and anxious and looking out for number one as far as we can tell on social media and around us. It's so what if we let our hearts just go there for a while? Thanks be to God, the Gospel of Matthew is also the one where Jesus, on the night of his arrest, he asks his disciples to keep awake and pray. And three times in a row, the disciples fall asleep on that fundamental. And yet Jesus keeps coming back to wake them up from their slumber because ours is a God who really, against all reason, simply refuses to give up on the sleeping church. And what if this morning, and these are times that are so much bigger than any one of us, what if Jesus is stirring us awake once more in and through this service? What if Jesus is calling us this day back to the gym? What if Jesus is desiring that what we might keep at those revolutionary fundamentals until the day when those fundamentals are fu- fully exercised on earth as it is in heaven? Amen.